The following audio is from Central Christian Church, located in Portales, New Mexico. To connect with Central, go to centralwire.org. You came from heaven's throne, acquainted with our sorrow, to
You go before me and follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. Psalm 139, 5 through 7.
church. So Romans chapter 8 says this, and the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. I'm going to ask a question. Have you ever been in a moment or a season in your life where your heart is just always heavy? Your heart is so burdened. You know deep down in your heart that God tells us to cast our burdens on him. But what do you do when you don't have the words to say or you don't know what to say? You know, God calls us to praise him in the storms. And in all of our ways, we must praise him. But what do you do when the words just don't come, when they're just not there? So I don't know how you guys are, but God talks to me through songs. And I hear audible voices whenever God talks to me listening to songs. So I want to lay out a day for you. The day was a Wednesday. And it was, it just happened to be a day when we had jam session. And things were just rolling right along at school. I was teaching. And about 11, 11 15, one of my coworkers comes into my room, and I can tell she's frantic. And she says, I'm leaving. I will be back, but I'm leaving. And I could tell that that there was something wrong. I could tell something was going on. And so I asked her, I said, what's the matter? And you know, that Wednesday just happened to be a day that we were having praise team practice. We were having jam session. And you know, all throughout the day and the night before, I was looking at the list of people that were supposed to be there. And I was telling myself, ah, they got it. I don't need to be there for this one. I don't, I don't need to go. But when my teacher walked in that day and she says, I'm leaving. And I said, what's the matter? And she looks at me and she says, the doctors just called my husband. And they think he might have cancer. It was at that moment that my heart broke. My heart broke for her. My heart broke for her husband, and my heart broke for her daughters. 
But it also was at that moment that I realized that my choices are not my choices. And God said, hey, you're going to jam session tonight. Whether you like it or not, you're going to be there. So we go and we go to I go to jam session and I walk in and you know still my heart is just it's just heavy. And I'm like, I can't worship tonight. I don't have it in me to worship tonight. But God says, you need to be here. And so as I get ready for for jam session that night, one of the other praise team members, she walks in and we're talking and we, we're talking about what do we do when we're called to worship, but we, we don't know what to say. We don't know how to worship. You know, like I said, our hearts are burdened. Our hearts are heavy. How do we worship when we don't have the words? Well, That night, Franklin had decided we're going to introduce a new song to the praise team. And one of the lines in that song was, All my words fall short. I've got nothing new. How could I express all my gratitude? I could sing these songs as I often do, but every song must end, but you never do. You know, it wasn't until after we got done and I was, I was wrapping up and I was driving home that the, the next part of this song just hit me. And it was then that I realized that's why I had to be at praise team that night. The next line says, So I throw up my hands, and I praise you again and again. Because all that I have is a hallelujah. A hallelujah. You know, sometimes we get caught up in the routine of worship. We get caught up and we have to have so many songs and we have to sing this many verses and we have to pray for this amount of time and we have to have a sermon that this, that's this long. But that's not what God wants from us. All God wants from us is He wants us. And you know, there's times whenever life is going on that we don't have the words but all he asks is for us to give all we've got all we can when our words fall short and we don't know what to say hallelujah when life has hit us in the face and we've been knocked to our knees. Hallelujah. When we're ready to give up. When we're ready to just throw in the towel. Hallelujah. 
And if you get nothing else out of this this morning, this is what I want you to hear. All we can is all he wants. But I found in my life that if I start off with a simple, single hallelujah, the words come. A single hallelujah and the worries fall away. A single hallelujah and the burdens fall off. And it's at that time that he is exalted the way he is supposed to be. I needed to hear in that song that when my words fall short, sometimes just a simple hallelujah is what's needed for him to be exalted. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for the gift of worship. Thank you for loving us enough to send your son to die for us. And Lord, as we come to this table this morning, I I pray that we give everything that we've got, all that we can, we give it to you. And Lord, allow us the opportunity to just worship you and worship your majesty. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. All his heart, his strength will still come At the end of your wanderings You'll see the grace that he giveth and giveth and giveth again William Sykes was the chaplain at Oxford College uh, University College at Oxford and uh, in London, he described a group of students that were there that had physical limitations. Uh, lame, couldn't see right. Uh, their limitations were many. Maybe they were a learning disabled. Maybe they were physically disabled. But they were all linked by a what he called a quiet courage. So it caused him to ponder the meaning of this word courage. And he And he wrote this, the Italians call it coraggio for greatness of heart. The French call it courage. We borrow our spelling of it from them. And he said this, we understand it to mean manliness, bravery, boldness, fearlessness, but it's so much more. It is fully seeing the consequences and pushing through to the end. He said these students should not have been at Oxford. They had too many limitations, but... It was their inside strength that got them through. I think that's interesting. Because who among us doesn't have a disability? Now, hear me. I am not in any way trying to minimize disabilities or speak of people that are dealing with physical or, or mental limitations. Okay, But how many of us in here could, could easily say, I'm not able to do the things I want to do? Okay, maybe it's... Physically, maybe it's uh, it's skill level, maybe it's desire, maybe it's motivation, maybe it's strength, maybe it's money. Things that other people have. And, and we see limitations when we look in the mirror. And then you get to church and the preacher stands up here and says, you're made in the image of God. Now put yourself in the, in the shoes of one of our teenagers. 
And they hear that. You're made in the image of God. And, and yet they see all of their flaws. Would it be easy for our teenagers to look in the mirror and say, well, God blew it on me. You hear what I'm saying? Because we see all of the limitations. We're in this series called Songs for the Excuse me, Songs for the Journey. The Psalms of Ascent, number 120 through 134. There's 15 that they sang on their way back to Jerusalem. This one we're calling Ramble On, uh, to stay with the Led Zeppelin motif there. Uh, um, we have, we're going to look at two psalms today that don't even mention the word courage. But it's there. It's in between. It's, it's going through all of this thing. And we've talked, as we've done this series about starting the journey and being on the journey happy and pointing our eyes to Jerusalem. And where does our help come from? Our help doesn't come from our efforts. Our help comes from the power of the Lord that we have invited into this room today. That, that yes, sometimes the journey is happy. Sometimes the journey is mundane. And we talked about, will God be with us and will we stay with God in the mundane? But what happens if the journey goes all wrong? It doesn't go where we thought it was going to go, and it didn't work out the way we wanted. Will we stay on his journey? We're going to be in Psalm 132 and 133. If you'd like to join me, I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation, and I'm going to invite you to do something that we've been doing through this whole series. Is I'm going to invite you to stand as we read Psalm 132 and 133 together. Uh, if you're able to... now. I'll warn you, Psalm 132 is kind of long, so if you've got to sit down in the middle of it, I'm totally fine with that, all right? Nobody's going to eject you or anything like that. You're doing fine. We're glad you're here. If you're online, if you're on the radio, thanks for joining us here at Central Christian Church. Psalm 132 says this, Lord, remember David and all that he suffered. He made a solemn promise to the Lord. He vowed to the Mighty One of Israel, I will not go home. I will not let myself rest. I will not let my eyes sleep nor close my eyelids in slumber until I find a place to build a house for the Lord, a sanctuary for the mighty one of Israel. We heard that the ark was in Ephathra. Then we found it in the distant countryside of Jaar. Let us go to the sanctuary of the Lord. Let us worship at the footstool of his throne. Arise, O Lord, and enter your resting place along with the ark, the symbol of your power. May your priests be clothed in godliness. May your loyal servants sing for joy. For the sake of your servant David, do not reject the king you have anointed. The Lord swore an oath to David with a promise he will never take back. I'll place one of your descendants on the throne if your descendants obey the terms of my covenant and the laws that I teach them. Then your royal line will continue forever and ever. For the Lord has chosen Jerusalem. He has desired it for his home. This is my resting place forever, he said. I will live here, for this is the home I desired. I will bless this city. I'll make it prosperous. I'll satisfy its poor with food. I'll clothe its priests with godliness. Its faithful servants will sing for joy. Here I will increase the power of David. My anointed one will be a light for my people. I will clothe his enemies with shame. He will be a glorious king. Now jump on down to 133. Psalm 133, it does list as a psalm of David. Four of these psalms of ascents were written by David. This is one of them that is attributed to him. How wonderful and pleasant it is when brothers live together in harmony. For harmony is as precious as the anointing oil that was poured over Aaron's head that ran down his beard and onto the border of his robe. 
Harmony is as refreshing as the dew from Mount Hermon that falls on the mountains of Zion. And there the Lord has pronounced His blessing, even life everlasting. Thank you for standing for the reading of His Word. Please have a seat. And I pray we are encouraged by being a Bible, believing in a Bible, using church. Now, Eugene Peterson, who wrote the message, he called the Psalms of Ascent, he said they are the dog-eared songbook of the Israelites. Like, that's the ones they go to. That's the songs they know. That's the, the things that give them peace, that give them courage. How many of you have a favorite song? Now, maybe it's a church song, okay? Maybe it's old school hymns, and, and you go to that song, and it makes you feel good. Maybe it's some song from the radio. Maybe it's something from when you were growing up. It reminds you of when you got together with your significant other, and, and, and it gives you courage and strength. So we're going to do this group participation thing again. I'm going to count down, three, two, one, and you're going to shout out your favorite song, Okay. All of them are going to go together, and we're going to see what you like, okay? So think of it. Everybody got a song? Everybody know what we're going to sing? And I want to hear it out loud. You don't have to sing it, all right? Just just tell me the title, all right? Um, are you ready? Three, two, one, go. Don't Stop Believing by Journey. I, I heard that from a lot. It's a good choice. It's an excellent choice. When I hear James Taylor, when I hear Sting or Journey or some of those from the old days, and the, it gives me peace. It gives me courage. Uh, maybe it's a song from the hymnal. Maybe it's Victory in Jesus or Amazing Grace or, or some of those that have incredible theology. Great is thy faithfulness that, that speak to us, that give us courage to go on, that calm our fears. This particular Psalm, 132, this one is different than all the other songs of ascent. Number one, it's obviously longer, all right? That's why we're calling this Ramble On, all right? He just rambled on. No. Um, it is over twice the size of most of the other Psalms of ascent. It magnifies the relationship between God and David. It does not say that David wrote it. It's more about David. It references how hard David worked for God, for the temple for the tabernacle, for the ark. If you glance back at Psalm 130, which is one we haven't looked at, it, it basically tells us in Psalm 130 that God is with us. But in Psalm 132, I wonder if he's challenging us, are we with God? You hear me? A lot of people say, oh, God's with me. I know, but are you with God? You see, the psalmist is telling us that David was courageous for God, that he had courage and that he wanted to accomplish things. He made a vow to build a house for him, to build the temple. He wanted a place of the presence. Uh, until that time, all they had was the traveling presence of God, the tabernacle, which you'll get to see here live in April of next year. And David says, I will not rest until I build him a house. Could that be poetic hyperbole? I think it's possible. You're dealing with books of poetry. How many of us have heard people go to Washington and elect me and I'll go to Washington? I will not sleep until I get that bill passed. I mean, come on, we got to throw a flag on that. Somebody took a nap in there somewhere, all right? I get it that David is speaking a, a strong word here, but he's, he's saying, it's my desire to build the temple. That's what he, he lived for. After he got to be king in 2 Samuel 5, uh, he went and killed the, the Jebusites, he went and killed the Philistines, he took back Jerusalem, and he was going to build that temple. But history will tell us he didn't. 
He didn't do it. Solomon did it. So is God's promise negated? Is, is the Bible untrue? People that don't believe in Scripture, they will find things like that and say, see, the Bible doesn't even agree with itself. It does. Just when they say stuff like that, just say, well, in context, it does. You see, David wants to build him a temple. In 2 Samuel 7, he goes to Nathan the prophet and says, I want to build a temple. And Nathan says, no. What? Well, it's such a great idea. It seems like such a good idea. I love God. He needs a place to be. That is a great idea. But it didn't work out. Let me ask you this. How many of you have ever had a great idea and tried to convince God of it? Ah, yeah, yeah, you know what I'm talking about. All right, we, man, I wish those two would get together. You know what I'm saying? Uh, maybe it's, maybe it's, you want that person for you. May, you know, God, it would be really good if that job would open up and I could get right there. It would be the right money. Everything would be perfect. It's, it's easy. Make that happen. You see what I'm saying? Or maybe it's not cancer. God, it would be a great idea if that wasn't cancer. Or a couple that is desperate to build a family and cannot seem to conceive. It is a good idea. It's a good thing. It's a godly thing. David had a good idea. He wanted to serve God. I've known people that say, I want to serve God, and it just doesn't open up for them. I wonder, is something that we want keeping us from something God wants for us. You hear me? Sometimes we want it and we make it so logical in our head, but we miss what God wants for us. David had a great idea. I'm going to build a temple and it's going to be great, not for my glory, but for God's glory. It didn't work out. And then David has the courage to do something amazing. He has the courage to do something incredible. He worships. I don't know what you do when you make those conversations with God and it doesn't work out. I know what I do. There's a lot of whining, nagging, complaining. Anybody? I mean, come on, God. Now, look, listen to my logic here. I'm going to lay this out for you very easy so you can understand this, God, because you're clearly not getting it. But you see, David does something unbelievable. Instead of whining and complaining, he goes and worships. Look at verse 7 of 132. Let us go to the sanctuary and worship at his footstool, even if it didn't work out right. That song that we just sang obviously had such a powerful response to you. All my words fall short. What Jeremy was sharing was so powerful. How could I express my gratitude? Because all I have is a hallelujah. I have nothing else fit for a king. Doesn't that sound kind of like Little drummer boy? I mean, we're coming up on Christmas hymns and all that kind of stuff. He didn't have any gifts, so he, he played a song for the king, right? That's what he's saying. I don't have anything great. I don't have anything magnanimous. I can't convince you, and it's not going the way I want. Maybe the greatest act of obedience is worshiping even when it's not working out. Maybe God is calling us in this to obey even in pain, to worship even in situations that don't work out. And I think we know this. We need to, that, that we need to know that God keeps His tr promises. I think we know this. You're in church. But 
Do we really believe it in our core? Look down verse 11. The Lord swore an oath to David that he will never take back. Be thou my vision, O Lord, of my heart. I want, I want you. What Franklin said earlier, you conquered death. Will you conquer my heart? It's powerful. Then one of the lines, then through the darkness, your loving kindness tore through the shadow of my soul. Will we have the strength to trust that? Now, that is super easy in church to say, oh, yeah, Don, I I trust you. But what if, and some of the historians tell us that particularly this 132 might have been a, a psalm that Ezra and Nehemiah sang. Now, if you don't know what those stories are, we've looked back at You can go back and look at them. But Ezra and Nehemiah, when they were in, in a, a captivity for over 70 years, they petitioned to go back and rebuild the temple and rebuild the wall. So when they're singing these songs on their way back to Jerusalem, Jerusalem's a mess. It's been 70 years bombed out. There's weeds everywhere. There's broken things everywhere. They're walking back to Jerusalem possibly in ruins and look at what it says in verse 15 16 and 17 i'll bless this city i'll make it prosperous i'll satisfy its poor with food i'll clothe its priests with godliness i'll increase the power of david you hear that but you see a city in ruins you hear that god's gonna put david on the throat he's gonna be powerful well at that time israel was still in captivity How can I sing of all the great things that God's going to do when all I see is ruins? Let's make it a little more personal. Maybe you're here today. Maybe you're watching online. Maybe you're listening to this later on and you're saying, yeah, Don, that sounds fun and all, but you don't see the ruins that are my life. You don't know what the divorce did to me. You don't know what it was like to sign bankruptcy papers. You don't know what it was like to humble myself and take that less job you just don't understand and then you come in here and the preacher rambles on about trust god you got to trust god just trust god and it and it sounds all happy and joyous but you don't understand how could god help somebody like me all i see is ruins you hearing me you see when we believe god's promises are true not just talk about them When we believe them in our core that God said, I will never leave you. You will never, ever be alone. I don't care how hard the finances are. I don't care what the cancer doctor says. You will not face those things alone. When we believe that, we can hang on when the circumstances aren't great. Maybe when the Israelites are chanting these verses and and singing these verses, a lot of theirs were probably more like Gregorian chants. They were they were just saying them over and over. Maybe they're saying them, not seeing this kind of Jerusalem. Maybe they're seeing it in their head. A, a Jerusalem that is prosperous, a Jerusalem that is blessed, a Jerusalem that satisfies their heart, that satisfies the poor with food. Maybe they're singing it and describing it because they are longing for it. They can see that kind of of joy in their eyes because they've set their face to Zion. Friends, we've got to choose to press into the promises. That's why it is so essential that we be in this book, that we listen to these books, that we continue to talk about and continue to quote these books so that we are a, a people that choose to lean into His Word. And listen, the writer is not talking about 
You don't hear him say anything about heaven or the coming of the Messiah. You don't hear any of that. He's talking about the presence of God. You see, courage, maybe it comes into play in our lives here too. We look out the window and we see doom and gloom. We turn on the news and we hear all that angry election that's coming up and all the problems with the economy and all the, the struggles on both sides of issues. And, and all we see is fighting and we go, man, this place is a wreck. How is this ever going to be the community that God wanted? How is this ever going to be what God what, we got to get our country back. We've got to get our people back. What, what if when we turn on and we see all the doom and gloom, we are immediately drawn to David? David that did not get the desire of his heart to build that temple. But when we listen to that, we listen, man, David didn't, it didn't work out that part for David, but David will lead us to Jesus because Jesus was of the line of David. And, and that will lead us to his promises. But see, Jesus didn't get everything working out okay for him, did he? Kind of tacked him to a tree after a while. It didn't work out the way he had hoped, but God knew the plan was right. So David will lead us to Jesus. Jesus will lead us to the church that, that he gave the great commission out to all of us. The community of joy. Even though they couldn't see Zion, even though they couldn't see a built-up community, they moved toward it. Now, the next Psalm, 133 continues this cur- the theme of courage with a new word, harmony. Harmony is a really powerful word. I grew up in a cappella church. We learned four-part harmony before we could walk, okay? That, that, was just, that was just what you did, all right? And, and so the, the blending of voices and the working together. And you hear these phrases in 133, how wonderful and pleasant and good and unity. This verse is often used when we're talking about conflicts in church. But can I tell you, I do not believe all unity is good. Before you start throwing Bibles at me, hear me out. The first example in human history of a unified mind, of everybody working together, is a little town in Genesis 11 called Babel. They had a unified mind. They had one mind. They did everything together, and it worked out poorly. Is that a fair statement? What about this guy, Hitler? Anybody remember him? And really, it could be any of the dictators that we know, but let's just, he's the big one, all right? He's the one we can pick on, all right? Hitler wanted unity. He wanted you to be like me, all right? He, I want everybody to look like me and act like me and think like me, and I'll be in tr- control, and if you don't fit, boom, we get eject you. Well, like I said, you can put that any dictator in there. Isn't that what they want? A dictator wants unity of their mind, not our minds. Even the Crusades. The Crusades were, was a concept of unity, and it was a good idea. Let's go out into all the world and take the gospel. Good idea. And if they don't listen, we kill them. Okay, maybe that's not a great idea. All right. Maybe we stepped over a line there. Right, but but it, as it started, it was a good, unifying, biblically-based idea. But you see that. 133 is talking about a God-centered unity. A a unity based on our purpose in Him. Does that mean we all have 100% agreement? No. Has your body ever disagreed with itself? Hit your thumb with a hammer. 
We'll test that theory right quick. Uh, it, it, it doesn't eject the thumb, all right? Actually, our bodies that God designed are, are powerful, that it works to overcome weaknesses in other parts. When things aren't working well, other parts of your body come together. We see it in people with physical disabilities. Uh, blind people often have enhanced hearing. That's fair to say. I mean, we've seen that in a lot of people. Uh, we, we see their senses heightened. People that are autistic, people that are on the spectrum on lots of levels, but some that are very autistic cannot communicate really well with people, but they can process really well, true? There's a lot of math. There's a lot of numbers. They can put things together. But what if you were born blind and autistic? Would it be, well, we just give up. They got too many things wrong. Blind and deaf, Helen Keller. You know what? Let's just give up on them. It would be easy to just give up. Cody didn't. He had a family that supported him and pushed him toward harmony. We're going to watch a video clip here in just a minute from America's Got Talent. From It's been several years ago. It's, a, it's very popular. I, I must warn you, it was, it was downloaded zillions of times. The one I downloaded apparently has a tornado warning in the middle of it. Don't worry, we're not under a tornado warning. Everybody's cool. It's just fine. Just It just crawls along the bottom. Ignore it. But I want you to listen to Cody's story. I want you to listen to how he reacts and pay attention to his family. Let's roll this video now. Welcome to America's Got Talent. What's your name? I'm Cody. Hi, Cody. I'm Cody. I am 22 years old. Yeah. Who are you, Miss? Who are you? Hi, Mom. Oh, I'm hi, Tina Mom. Lee. Hi, <laughs> Tina. How are you? What are you going to do here for us today? I'm going to sing a song for you on the piano. I love it. Tina, tell us a little bit about Cody. Cody is blind and autistic. Wow. We found out that he loved music really early on. He listened and his eyes just went huge. And he started singing. And that's when I just, I was in tears because that's when I realized, oh my gosh, he's an entertainer. So. Yeah. Come on, Cody. Come on. Ten thousand people watch. 
It's an amazing voice, and it's an amazing story. Uh, that ended up being one of the highest-rated episodes of all time. It's been do- downloaded like 14 million times. And it's, it's powerful, not just in his voice. But I want you to watch it again sometime and listen to the mom. The mom guides him up to the piano, sets him down, and you can't hear it very much unless you just turn it really, really hard up. And, and she says, there's going to be like 20 cameras on you. Don't worry. You ready? He's like, yeah, let's go. And you saw that family that surrounded them and, and poured into them. Psalm 133 says, harmony is, is like an anointing oil. Anointing oil used to, to heal, to set apart. It's a symbol of sealing, a symbol of saving, much like we talk about with, with baptism. The baptism buried with Christ and raised anew, immersed into his life. There's nothing special about that water back there. It's portalis water. There's nothing special about the oil, per se. It's the presence of God. The power is not in those things. The power is in being near God. And when we walk His way, when we lean into His promises, when we work towards harmony, when we have the courage to do it His way, it pours over us. It runs over us. Harmony reminds us of His presence. It says in the Scripture, it's running down His beard to His robe, that it's all over Him. It's a poetic reminder uh, of bathing in Him, soaking in Him. Harmony refreshes. In verse 3, it says it refreshes like the, the hills of uh, the dew from Mount Hermon. It gives and brings life. If we will work as a body towards unity towards harmony and less towards self, we will see His presence. We will feel refreshed. We can't wait to get together. Does that make sense? He is calling us to be the body that lifts each other up. Sometimes it works right. Sometimes it doesn't. Albert Einstein was teaching at Princeton. Uh, You've heard of Einstein. He was fairly intelligent. And he gets up, goes to the chalkboard with a piece of chalk, and he starts writing on the chalkboard. Nine times one equals nine. Nine times two equals 18. Nine times three equals 27. All the way down, nine times nine equals 81. Nine times 10 equals 91. He sets the, calm, uh, sets the chalk down. He turns to walk around. And he hears the chuckles. <laughs> I thought you had a great IQ. You can't even do third grade math. I mean, come on, man. You know, how are your theories going to work? And they're just the chuckling, just the the commenting, and he just let it set for a few minutes. And then he said this, Despite the fact I analyzed nine problems correctly, no one congratulated me. But when I make one mistake, everybody laughs. 
This means even if a person is successful, society will notice the slightest mistakes. He goes on to say this, the only person who never makes a mistake is someone who does nothing. God is calling us as a body, as a community, to set our eyes to Zion, to set our eyes to His greatness. Now, it's going to be hard. There's going to be some discouragements. There's going to be some disappointments. There's going to be some things that don't work the way we want them to. It's going to take courage. But if we will work toward harmony, we will set our face to His presence. We have nothing but thanks for all He has done. And maybe you're struggling today. And maybe you're wondering how you fit in and you don't know if you have enough courage to go on and all you see is ruins. Can you just sing with us? Can you just be, be grateful with us? Can we just be courageous together? Thank you for listening to audio from Central Christian Church in Portales, New Mexico. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To connect with us, visit our website at centralwired.org.